Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. going to pray. Uh, thank you, Lord. Lord, by your grace, just let us enter into that uh, sacred place of fellowship. Give us a glimpse of, however fleeting it might be, of your glory so that we will never, ever be the same again. And so permeate us with that sweet fragrance that comes from being in your presence. Oh, Father, thank you for the blessings that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll tell you why I needed those extra fries. This morning we're going from Sinai, we're going to climb Sinai, and then we're going to go across to Corinth. That's where we're going to end up there with Paul. But uh, then the big finale is that we're going to sing a song that Aaliyah has uh, graciously said that she would do for us. And uh, I hope it's a song that you'll sing on your way home from church and maybe catch yourself singing it through the week. It's a lovely, lovely song. But uh, we're going to Sinai. You see, God summoned Moses to Sinai for there he was going to receive the, the covenant law. It must have been an awesome experience. I don't know whether you've read it or not, but when Moses ascended the mountain, it shook. There was fire and there was smoke, loud noise, a cloud <laughs> descending. And probably like the closest we could get would be to a cold chisel concert, where there's flashing lights and smoke and a lot of shaking, and I can assure you plenty, plenty, plenty of noise. And I'm sure that Moses saw himself as a working class man. <laughs> but there's Moses, and although he's awestruck, he had a few questions that he wanted to ask God, and uh, one especially about the call upon his life and another about the people that he was leading. And so this is what Moses said to the Lord. You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. And if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, 
do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that, we are, that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples in the world? So here we see an anxious Moses. And God is, you tell me to lead these people, but you don't tell me who's going with me. You're, you travelling with us or not? Because if you're not going with us, well, let's just call this whole thing off. Let's put a stop to it now. And really, you can't blame him. You can't blame him. He was surrounded by a bunch of grumbling Israelites <laughs> who was, all they wanted to do was go back to Egypt. And uh, he was surrounded by a desert full of burning winds and blazing rocks. And not long before this, that he was a simple shepherd. But now he's a, he's a leader of people the commander, the commanding officer. And he needed assurance. He needed to know that he wasn't in this task alone. Very similar to us at times. And he received the assurance for God said, I will do what you ask because I know you and I'm pleased with you. Now, you would have thought that would have been enough for, for Moses but it's not usually enough for us. And it shouldn't surprise us that it wasn't enough for Moses. And so Moses hung around and maybe he was thinking about what God had said. <laughs> oh, he did say, I will do what you ask. And maybe God will grant one more request. And so he swallows hard and he makes his request. Now, what do you think that he would ask for? Because he is apparently has God's attention and God is willing to hear his prayer. And it does say that Moses spoke with God face to face. And so here he senses this opportunity to ask for anything that he wants. But what will he ask for? Well, there was about a million things that he could ask for. Because that's about how many Israelites there were when he looked back. Millions stiff-necked, unappreciative, cow-worshipping ex-slaves who grumble with every step. And maybe Moses thought about asking God to turn them all into sheep. At least sheep will follow you without grumbling. And I can almost see Moses saying, oh, sheep. Because it was only a few months, you know, before that Moses was in the same desert, near this same mountain, watching over a flock. But it was different this time. Sheep don't make demands. They don't make a mess out of blessings. And they don't talk about going back to Egypt. And I can assure you they don't make golden cows, that's for sure. And then what about the battles that were coming with the Hittites and the Jesuits and all the other rights? And we complain about termites and our rights. Moses had to be asking himself, 
can I make an army out of this grumbling bunch of pyramid makers? Oh, he snaps out of it. <laughs> he got carried away there a bit. And he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll say, beam him up, Lord. And uh, put them over into Canaan and get rid of all those people before we get there. Oh, no, I can't. No, I'd better not ask for that. And the thing was that Moses knew what God could do. There was Aaron's rod that turned into a snake and he was crazy enough to bend down and pick it up. And then there was the Nile running with blood. The gnats that even when you breathe, you breathe them in. And frogs were all filling up the house. Blackness in the middle of the day and then there were all the funerals for the firstborn. They all knew about the Red Sea being parted and the Egyptian army that was wiped out. And I'm sure Moses hadn't forgotten about the very mountain that he was standing on, moving. And I guarantee as it moved, his his knees were moving too. And Moses no doubt knew what God could do. He didn't doubt it. But he didn't doubt what these people were prone to do either. And as you read through the story, it's amazing that Moses had the habit of calling them these people, these people. And uh, he did it a lot of the times, and I can assure you that it wasn't a term of endearment. He had already found them dancing around a golden calf. He'd been carrying the handwritten words of God in stone and found them dancing around... golden farm animal caused him to throw his clipboard down now now this is this is this is really biblically biblical god was ready to be done with them and do a no no thing with moses and start all over again but moses sought the favor of the lord his god and he pleaded with them twice with him twice Oh, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? And then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. You know, I ever wondered whether Moses ever thought back later on that and said, oh, God, what was I thinking? (laughs) But one way or another, God was touched by Moses' prayer. And he said to Moses, I'll see this through to the end. But Moses needed one more thing. What would he ask for? You would think, oh, for goodness sake, Moses, not another Christian. So what do you think he asks for? Exodus 33:18 and Moses said, "God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. Show me your radiance, God." Moses was basically saying as a child would do his dad, "Show me your muscles, dad." so I know it'll be all right. 
Moses said, let me see your heart-stopping, ground-shaking power. Oh, God, let me see you. Let me see you. So why did Moses want to see God's greatness? Because he wanted to know that it was going to be all right. He wanted to know that there was something more to it all than what he saw. And he wanted to know that there was more to life than a desert. And so Moses pleads, show me your glory. Shower me with your strength. Stagger me with your wisdom. Steal my breath with your presence. Give me just one peek of who you really are. And you know, God answered that. And God said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, where my glory passes by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face you must not see. Sure enough, God answers that request. He puts Moses in the in the cleft of the rock and his heart is pulsating. You can't see my face, but no human can stand that. So I'm going to put my hand over you. Oh, what must it have been like to have under the hand of God? And then God said, I'm going to take my hand away now and you will see my back. And so here's Moses crouching in this crack in the rock his heart racing, God gives a single and Moses gets a glimpse of the heart of the God of the cosmos. The great God of the universe passes before him because a glimpse of God was worth more to Moses than anything else. And the effect of it could be seen. His face glowed. He glowed with the glory of God. Glowed with the glory of God. It was unknown to Moses, but it freaked everybody else out. Man. They looked at his face and saw God's glory. The people saw Moses. They didn't see him angry. They didn't see him worried. They didn't see him in pain. Even the circumstances, the way they were, what they saw, they saw the glory of God. And so we are told that the old covenant was given in glory and Moses' face shone that the people could not look upon him and so he covered his face with a veil so that they wouldn't see the glory fading. Ah, here. That's awesome. But listen going to Corinth. We're going to listen to what Paul has to say. And Paul says, that was an awesome moment for Moses. It was so awesome that Paul takes hold of that moment in Moses' life and he says, you know, you might think that was awesome, but this is going to blow your mind. And he says, now, if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stone, came with glory... 
so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what has been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. And since then, we have such hope. We act with great boldness. We are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted. But listen, because it is set aside only in Christ. And yet still today, whenever Moses is read, the veil lays over their hearts. Listen, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces are looking into a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is the Lord who is the Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so what does Paul say? Paul says that even though the old covenant came with glory, it brought death. Now that doesn't mean to say that if you were following under the old covenant and you broke a commandment, you were gone. doesn't mean that. God never said that. No, the old covenant was deadly because it kills things. And I'm just going to give you three. It kills hope. Because there was never any hope under the old covenant. For no one could keep it. And for human nature, like it is, it could only be, offer nothing but frustration and a sense of hopelessness. But it also killed life. Under the old covenant law, you couldn't earn anything but condemnation. And condemnation kills life of its possibilities. It could only condemn someone to a life sentence of doubt and slavery and less of loss of freedom. And it kills strength. Because the old covenant, it could certainly tell you what you must do but there was nothing about it that could tell you how to do it. But Paul says, ah, ha, ha, ha. The new covenant is quite different. It's a relationship of love and promise. It came into being because God so loved the world. It formed a relationship not unlike that between a father and a child. A person was no longer under condemnation. They were a son and daughter of God even if a disobedient child. And the thing was, it changed a person's heart. It changed their life. Not by imposing a new code of law, but by changing them inwardly. So not only did it tell a person what to do, it gave them the strength to do it. 
because with the Spirit, it brought power to live for God. And so Paul says the old covenant was born in glory. And when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, which was the code of the old covenant, remember his face shone with such a splendor that no one could look at it. And now Paul says that was a passing splendor. It did not and it could not last. But you see, with the new covenant, the renewed relationship with Christ brings us into is it brings us into being one with God. And it has a greater splendor which will never fade because it produces mercy and pardon and forgiveness and not condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you'll see it gives life and not death. It gives life. It enables us to live life of abundance. And it doesn't kill hope, but it gives us hope. And this is the hope. This is the hope that does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And Paul goes on to say, that we see the glory of the Lord with no veil upon faces. And because of that, we too are changed from glory into glory. You see, if we capture what Paul is saying here, he's saying that as we gaze at Christ through times of that rich contemplative quietness where we just sit and allow the Holy Spirit to bring Christ into our spirit and enrich us from within. All those times through prayer when we're able to communicate with God through Christ, through the ministry of the Spirit. And when we open the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit reaches deep into them and brings that Scripture and places it deep in our spirit, and in so doing, we end up reflecting Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? His image appears in our life because that's what Paul says. Where the Spirit is, there is liberty, freedom for change. And he says God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him, and so he chose them and made them to be like his son. You see... If so long as our obedience to God is conditioned by obedience to a code of law, we're in the position of an unwilling slave. But when it comes from the operation of the spirit in our heart, the very center of our being, there is no longer a desire other than to serve God because it is not from a law, but it's from love. It's love. And many things that we would resent doing under compulsion for some stranger are now a privilege to do for someone that we love. Love clothes the humblest and the most menial tasks with glory. And so this is all brought about by looking at Christ 
And Paul says, and as we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so to be like Christ, we must look upon him intently. And then by the work of the Holy Spirit, there is this inward change. As we look, the Spirit is at work within. You see, both are necessary. As we gaze, the Holy Spirit influence comes down on us gradually and invisibly. Because I've found that we're much affected by the things that we look at from day to day. We must not forget that the way we look is all important. Our manner of looking at Christ affects us. And Paul says, we look with unveiled faces. Look at Christ. Look daily. Look enthusiastically, lovingly, tender sympathy. And the spirit of Christ will possess you. We may not be able to tell how the change comes or why. The important thing is that we look to Christ and we experience the Spirit's power. But Paul says something very, very important and interesting. When you stand before a mirror and you look into that mirror, what do you see? That's not a trick question. I do it every morning and it's not as nice sight at times. But what do we see? We see ourselves. But do you know what we really see? When you look into the mirror and see yourself, you see the glory of Christ. When you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you're looking into the glory of Christ. So don't let anyone put you down. Don't let words, you'll never amount to anything, harm you. Never see yourself as a nobody. You are a child of God. You're a person of worth. You're a person of significance. You're a person who has eternal security. You're in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ and your face radiates the glory of Christ. And if you ever doubt it, just go and look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. So look at Christ. Look at Christ through your tears. Look at through your hopes. Look through your joys. Look into your love. And let the Spirit stream into your heart, transforming you from one degree of glory to the next. Thanks, the Lord. And so this is my prayer for you. that you will indeed so live your life in the presence of the Spirit, in the spirit of holiness that transforms your life, that when people see you, they won't see your imperfections, but the glow of Jesus. So that people might recognize you and say, hey, he has, or she has, no, no, they've both been with Jesus both been with Jesus and so now we're just going to spend a few moments by looking at Jesus 
looking at him. Maybe you, you would like to stand as we sing. Remember, you're a bearer of the glory. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.